be seated. I want to um, expound and uh, expand just a little bit on uh, what Scott was uh, saying about our, our offering uh, next week, that some of you might not know kind of some of the backstory of, of what happened, that um, uh, Seth uh, was, uh, his school was offering internships for the last semester of senior year for anyone that wanted to do it, and so he went to DPS 61 and asked if he could uh, do one at his church, and it was a little bit unconventional, but they uh, decided to allow him to do that. And uh, we had to make kind of a hard pledge that during his school internship, we would not compensate him at all. And so that sermon he preached in May, that was totally free, <laughs> 100% free. And, and he, you know, some of you had that reaction in May of, oh my goodness, this is not just a good sermon for a 17-year-old, this is a good, great sermon. Um, I got to have that reaction back in January, the first couple times I interacted with him. Cheryl will tell you, I came home, I was like, oh, I think I found the one. I, you know, I, I, you know I, I, he had such a sermonic, kind of powerful mind in that way, and we're going we're gonna to miss him a lot. He, at the end of the school internship, uh, we uh, decided to offer him an, 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 a traditional internship here. Um, starting over the summer, and so he's been receiving our extremely small stipend for interns, Um, and uh, so part of the way we bless interns at the end of it, all interns, is is with a love offering, and uh, Seth is going to be going off uh, to Ozark. We're going to miss him a ton. Um, uh, I'm I'm very excited about what he's going to be learning uh, at Ozark and how he's going to be learning to preach. And, and we just want to bless him. And so uh, I would encourage you to, to do that as we're going to see him off. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I really believe um, there's a, a list of, of people that this apply to in ministry. But I really think he's going to be one of those that were like, he grew up here. He, he grew up here. So, uh, um, and when we're, when we're hearing little stories about what he's doing, like he grew up at Northwest. And, and we could, we'll be able to say that with great pride. So, all right. That's stuff Scott couldn't say, but I wanted to say it. So, um, so now let's pray. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day. Uh, we thank you uh, for Jesus and for his grace. And uh, as we're kind of plowing forward um, on this series, uh, I just want to pray uh, right now that our hearts and our minds would be open to you as the source of all truth. Um, there are a lot of entities right now vying over what is true and what is right, but we right now, we want to be convicted through John, through your word, that you are the source of truth, and that we would put aside any other foolishness that we might be believing in and engaging in, and we would worship you as the truth giver. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. A recent article on uh, NPR's website listed the 12 common half-truths that we all just accept as fact. For instance, did you know that Subway's $5 foot-long sandwich is actually only 11 inches? Right? I know, it's scandalous, right? <laughs> now, Subway has a reason, you know, we bake the bread, they shrink a little bit. What, what, you're lying. You're lying, right? So, no, it's the 12-inch the uh, foot-long is actually only 11 inches. Uh, peanuts are not really uh, nuts. They're, they're actually not in the, in the nut category. Uh, American buffalo is a bison, not a buffalo. Koala bear is not a bear, it's a marsupial. Palm tree is not actually a tree. Swollen glands are actually just lymph nodes. A mountain goat is not really a goat. 
and pink is not actually a color, right? Physicists claim, which makes actually a lot of sense, but phys physicists actually say uh, that pink should really be called minus green because pink is just leftovers of light once you take out the green. That's, that's what pink really is. Here's what N.T. Wright says about truth. I thought this was really good. He said, the point about truth and about Jesus and his followers bearing witness to it is that truth is what happens when humans use words to reflect God's wise ordering of the world and so shine light into its dark corners, bringing judgment and mercy where it is badly needed. Empires cannot cope with this. They make their own truth creating facts on the ground in a depressingly normal way of violence and injustice. Go NT, right? <laughs> oh, that cultures are making up truth on the ground level. Those truths usually end up in injustice and violence and people being hurt. Welcome to Human History 101. Right? That, that's how human history, oh, that person's not a real person, they're a partial person, or that, per, that person doesn't deserve to be respected, or that gender should be mistreated. Whatever the case may be, human beings have been doing this forever and ever. Truth on the ground floor, and by, by and large, out of the truth on the ground floor comes violence and injustice towards some group. So this element and question about what is true is hugely important. And during Jesus' crucifixion, uh, this question was really asked in a powerful way. Let me read to you this story. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. All right, this is during his series of trials. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial and cleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out and asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back into the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? You, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a kingdom, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And here's the question. What is truth? And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered them, and said, I find no basis for a charge against them, but it is, your, it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in the uprising, John 18. What is truth. And if we're being honest, it is not a bad question for us to ask this morning. What is truth? Pilate asked it 2,000 years ago, and I am not, I'm sure, actually, that our world has still not discovered a really decent answer to that question. What is truth? In our culture, by and large, truth is relative. Here's what I mean by that. No one can be certain about anything, and so you and I just need to figure out 
by going through life, talking to people we know. We just have to kind of figure out truth for ourselves. So our culture even has these things that we say. Live your own truth. Discover your own truth. Do whatever you think is best, regardless of how your perception of truth might interact with another person's perception of truth. We are a culture that thinks that truth is relative and it's also personal. Right? One of the great ways that I would describe our culture's feeling about truth are in these words. It seems to me. Right? This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is my opinion. And I think that when you have a cultural approach to truth that says, well, it seems to me, you end up with a culture with a lot of division, a lot of arguing, and a lot of angst because the truth is up to debate. Welcome to America 2023. Right? Where it seems to me, well, it seems to me, well, it seems to me, well, it seems to me, and it ends up being a lot of division, a lot of arguing, and a lot of angst. So truth is personal. I think also in a, for a lot of people, this is not something they would necessarily think, but it's just a kind of uh, uh, the framework that we all operate in. Truth is familial. Well, it's like, this is how grandma did it. This is how grandpa did it. This is how mom did it. This is how dad did it. And so just kind of by default, this is how I do it, right? And if you ever want to test this theory, go to your family's Thanksgiving and watch what happens when you try to change your recipe. Somebody will stick in the bag, no, no, no. You've got to do the potatoes like grandma did them, right? With the butter and the gravy. And I, I, grandma lived a long time, we're not sure how. But you got, you got, to, you got, you got, to, do th you got to do potatoes the way grandma did them. Or you got to do pecan pie the way grandpa did. And we just kind of approach life with this familial truth embedded in us. And sometimes it's fine and it's good that faith is passed down in a familial way. Sometimes though it is addiction or it is anger or it is coping and it is these habits and truths that we turn to when we don't have a firm foundation and interaction with the truth. If there's a slogan when it comes to truth, it, it would be, it can't be for everyone. It can't be all-encompassing because I couldn't dare tell someone their truth is wrong. They're just doing what seems to them. Their perception and understanding of the truth. How could I tell someone they're wrong about what they believe is true? And we're told that everyone must just live out their own truth and to question anybody's truth is wrong. And so Jesus wants to help us answer this question. And specifically, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying, right? John's going to try to answer this question for us. What is truth? And spoiler alert, John is going to teach us, if you fall asleep, and I'm very open that could happen, all right? Um, John is going to try to get us to see that the truth is not personal it's not cultural. We hardly even talked about that. That this is what culture teaches. Actually, no, don't. Please do not do that. Right, right. That truth is personal. It's culture, cultural. It's familial. No, John is going to teach us that the truth is found in Jesus. It's interesting. More than any of the other gospel writers, John seems fixated in his gospel on who Jesus is, specifically who he is as the source of truth. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tend to kind of focus on what Jesus did, the miracles, the teaching, his activities. One of Mark's favorite words in his gospel is immediately. Mark loves a Jesus on the move. So it's like immediately he went here and did this. Immediately he went there and there. And John just kind of slows it all down. And he says, this is who this man was and is. And John clearly believes in his writing that Jesus is the source of truth. 
You could go all the way back to John 1.17, where John says, John writes that grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. That from the very beginning of his letter, 17 verses in, he says, I want you to know that Jesus came to bring us grace and he came to bring us truth. That truth is found in a person. And because it's found in a person, Jesus, truth accompanies with it an invitation from Jesus to know him, accept him, follow him, and discover the truth. That's John 1.17. You could jump to John 4.23, where Jesus is having a conversation with a woman from Samaria about what it means to worship God. And he says, one, Jesus is predicting the future. And he says, one day, God's people, regardless of their background, will be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so he's saying to this woman very early on in John, he's saying, listen, the way you discover what is true in Jesus is a heart of worship, a a, a mind and a heart directed to worshiping Jesus. We could skip over to John 8, 32, a passage we looked at a few weeks ago where Jesus says, if we listen to him, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. That the truth that is found in Jesus is leading us to a freedom in Christ. That's in John 8. In John 14, Jesus is doing this long kind of discord uh, uh, leading up to the cross. And he says, God will send his spirit to help his people and be with his people. And then he calls that spirit the spirit of truth. In John 15, 15, 26, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, it will testify about me and what I have done. And in John 16, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide his people into all truth. That when it comes to the truth that is in Jesus, he has no desire to keep that hidden from us. He has given us his example and his word, but he's also given us his Holy Spirit, who Jesus says will lead us into the truth that is found in him. And in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, prays for the believers, that they would be sanctified and made holy, that they would be followers of the truth. Then he says, Father, your word is truth. Now, way back in John 1, John refers to Jesus as the word become flesh. So John is saying, once again, the truth is found in Jesus. It's not that your grandma was wrong, especially if your grandma was a Christ follower or grandpa, but overarching, our truth comes from following Jesus. The truth is found in him. And John is full of these statements. I could have gone on and on and on through the book of John. John is full of statements But John is also full of these stories because one of the questions that might emerge is, all right, so Jesus is the source of all truth, okay? I'm in church. I might be inclined to believe that, all right? What is the truth that is found in him? And for that, John tells stories to help us to see what these truths are that are found in Jesus. And he structures them under these seven stories or these seven I am statements of Jesus. So John's structure is that there'll be a story about Jesus, and then there'll be a discourse, a sermon from Jesus about what just happened. And in that discourse, usually Jesus will say an I am statement. And it's in these stories that we find the truth that he came to bring us, uh, the, the, the truth that is found in him. And, and so we read a story, for instance, about Jesus feeding 5,000 with a few loaves and a few uh, a, a, few, a few loaves and a few fish. And to the very first century thinkers, this would have caught their attention when Jesus did this miracle. 
Because in the Old Testament, when God's people were in Egypt, God had done a similar miracle uh, with uh, manna, that they were wandering in the desert and the people were getting hungry, and God said, walk out of your tent every day, gather the manna that you need, and I will do that miracle every single day. And they'd walk out of their tent, and eventually, as you know in the story, we're going to study Exodus next year, but as you know, after a very short period of time, they started to grumble, right? Manna again. Are you kidding me? Man, again, you have, that, you have to have a very special wiring to eat the same thing day after day after day. My son has that wiring. That's how I know this. When he was very, very little, I taught him about this thing that my grandmother Higgs gave to me. It is a peanut butter and pickle sandwich, right? And so, I know, just allow the spirit to sanctify you into the truth, right? Um, <laughs> The slab of peanut butter and then a couple pieces of pickle sliced, you know. It, to me, it's very nostalgic, and I was telling Sam about it, and he is the pickiest kid on the planet, but he, in a moment of revelation, he's like, I'll try it. And he is eating a peanut butter and pickle sandwich, honestly, most days uh, for the, the next 10 years, right? He loves peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. Israel was not built that way. Right? They, got, they got very, very tired of manna. What is with the manna? Can't you do you know, a sourdough or some other kind of bread or whatever? You, something else, God, right? And they would walk out and they grumbled. But this thing began to emerge in Israel's mind that when the Messiah comes, that he will replicate this miracle in the desert. They really believed that all throughout the Old Testament, that one of the miracles the Messiah would replicate was the feeding of manna in the desert. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and he does this miracle, and, and the belief was that when the Messiah came, he would do for them what Moses had done for them. He would be the new Moses. And Jesus, after he does this miracle, they're, oh, you're the new Moses. And Jesus says, no, I think that you missed it. And listen to what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. Moses didn't perform that miracle. It is my father. God did the miracle. So he's correcting the thing they're already messed up on. He says, you think Moses did the miracle, and I'm going to be the new Moses. He says, no, no, Moses didn't do the miracle. God did the miracle. God gives you true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me will never go thirsty. Here's what Jesus said. You thought the Messiah would come and be the new Moses and give you stuff, bread from heaven. The mistake you thought was that Moses did that. God did that. The Messiah didn't come to be the new Moses. The Messiah came to be the new bread. And now I'm preaching. The Messiah was not going to be the new Moses. The Messiah was the bread. He didn't come to give you stuff. He came to be what you need. And so Jesus says, there is a deep satisfaction that comes from following him. He is the bread. He is the manna from heaven that, that gives us deep satisfaction, uh, uh, that, that fills our soul, that brings us joy, hope, and peace. There is a contentment that is found only in Jesus, and this is true. And we could have testimonies all around this room that would declare, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was searching after thing after thing. I was searching for a new manna that would, you know, fill my stomach and give me joy, hope, and peace. And the manna, the only true manna that ever satisfied was Jesus. 
And so this is, this is the truth he came to bring. Stop searching for joy, hope, and peace in other places and find it in Jesus. In John 8, there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. And she's brought before Jesus, before the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And Jesus famously says, as they bring this woman, they're like, the law of Moses says this woman should be stoned. And Jesus said, here's the deal. Let whoever of you is without sin cast the first stone. All right? Let whoever of you is without sin cast the first stone. And right after the story, we read these words. I, Jesus says, am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, there is a temptation to believe that Jesus is directing this at the woman caught in adultery, where he's like, dear, you are trying to find something in other men that you should be finding in me. You're searching for something that only I can give you. You're making all of these mistakes. And there's a temptation to believe he's directing it at her. The problem with that theory is she's not the one who gets mad at the statement. The people who get mad at this statement are the Pharisees. They get really, really ticked off. And I wonder, and I'm open that this may not be true, but what if this comment about I am the light of the world was not directed at the woman? He had forgiven her sin, but it was directed at the Pharisees. That your life is religion. Your life is the synagogue. Your whole kind of system is being a good person. Following the law. Being obedient being good church folk. But you have missed the light. You have missed the light of the world. You have missed the one who came to give you light and be your light. And in a world of darkness, what Jesus is teaching us is that that methodology will not satisfy. Jesus will lead us to the light. And that is true. That is part of the truth that he came to bring us. Is that he came to say, man, you live in a dark world. Guess what? Jesus did too. We were talking about this during Sunday school. That time and time again, whenever I've kind of talked about what Paul said about authority or what Jesus said about authority, I've had people say to me again and again, Jesus didn't understand the world we'd be living in. Yes, Jesus' was far worse. Right? The culture he lived in was far more angsty toward Christians, far more persecution, far more violence. And Jesus said, are you living in a dark world? I will lead you to the light. I will lead you to the light. And this world that we live in desperately needs some light. We're searching for it in so many different places. But Jesus says, if you'll put your faith in me, this is true. I will lead you to the light. In John 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. There's a confrontation with the religious leaders. And we're going to see a couple I am statements here. But in verse 7, after he heals this man, he says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. The sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, laid, the good shepherd laid down, lays down his life for the sheep. So throughout the Old and New Testament, God is represented, right, as the shepherd of the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, all the way back to Psalm 23. And this was an imagery that the people in the first century would have connected with. I know you don't know a shepherd. Um, I, I don't either, right? It's not like we can be like, hey, you know, go talk to a shepherd this afternoon, and you'll discover that whatever, none of us knows a shepherd. So this doesn't work as well in our current context, but in their context, they understood that a shepherd cares for, feeds, 
leads the sheep. It's a good imagery of life with God, and here's why that is so important. You were created, I believe this, I've said this 2,000 times, you were created for life with God. He made you for that. So how do we get there? Jesus says, I am the gate. The way into the sheep pen is through me. I will let you in. I will forgive your sin. I will make you I will allow you into the sheep pen, and then I will become your good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He's the way in, and he's the shepherd to lead us and care for us and give us what we need. Uh, and another, this is another claim about Jesus, by the way, where he claimed to be God and really infuriated the religious leaders. But really what he's saying is, let me be your shepherd. Let, let me lead you and guide you and care for you. In John 11, and, and that's just true, by the way, too, that Jesus has a desire to lead us. In John 11, Jesus finds out that one of his dear friends is sick. And he delays going to show his greatness. He delays in going to his friend that is sick. And when he gets there, uh, the friend has died. I might be reading between the lines here, but I feel like when I read that story, the dead guy's sisters are angry at Jesus. That's the way I, I read it. They're mad at Jesus because they had contacted him a long while ago. He didn't show up, and they're mad at him. And Jesus shows up, and right before he raises Lazarus from the dead, here's what he says. I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And it is just a short while later that he's like, remove the stone. A very dramatic moment in Scripture. Remove the stone. Like, he's been in there for days, Lord. He stinketh in the King James Version, right? He's in there and he stinketh. And he's like, no, 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 remove the stone. And Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus walks out. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He is promising resurrection for all who believe in him. He is promising you resurrection to all who believe in him. And then he backs it up. Lazarus, come out from the tomb. And a short time later, he himself resurrects from the dead. There is eternal life found in Jesus. He is the resurrection of life. There is eternal life found in him. And that is true. And so, yes, I would expect as a follower of Jesus, we would respond to pandemics differently. We would respond to death and disease, and all of that stuff that our world shows differently. And you say, why do we respond to it differently? One word, resurrection. Resurrection power and promise that is available to each and every believer. Resurrection and second coming, but resurrection that one day those in Christ will be raised and we will go to live with him in eternity in a place of perfection. In John 14, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross and we did a sermon series on this during the pandemic. Um, this, during, that, uh, during, during that sermon series, that section of scripture became, it became like a lifeline to me during the pandemic. I just thought Jesus' words were so powerful. We called it the uncertain road or the uncertain path. And, and Jesus' words were so powerful. But he's talking to the disciples about the future. And one of his disciples, Thomas, says, Lord, tell us where you're going. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place, all that stuff. Tell us where you're going. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, um, he, he begins to tell them, and he says, here's what you need to know, though. I am the way. I'm the way. The truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. This is true. It's part of the truth that John is trying to teach us, that he is the way to forgiveness. He is the way to grace. He is the way to eternal life. He is the way. He is the truth, the truth that is found in him. And he is our life. In John 15, in the same discourse, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And we don't always phrase it this way, but I think one of the things that our culture is looking for, we, we don't phrase it this way, but we're looking for ways to find the fruit of the Spirit. Right? We're looking for love. Everybody's looking for love. I feel like there's a Beatles song about that, right? That love, joy, peace, patience. Anyone need any patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and all, our whole culture right now, coming out of the pandemic, our whole, whole culture is looking for these things. It's like, man, I was reading an article the other day about we, as an American people, as a world people, honestly, we need peace. We, we are so anxious. Or we need love. We are so angry. Or, or we need uh, gentleness and kindness. We're just so angsty. And Jesus teaches us here where to find it. He says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. And so the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the way the Holy Spirit works is through our relationship with Jesus. And so as we draw close to Jesus, as we remain under his words, as we get to know him more and more, the Holy Spirit works through that relationship to begin to bear fruit in us. And Jesus is the pathway to joy. He is the pathway to peace. He is the pathway to kindness. He he is the pathway to gentleness. He is the pathway to self-control. We know him as our shepherd. His spirit begins to work in us and through us so that we will bear that kind of fruit. He is the pathway that is the truth. We were uh, on vacation uh, a couple weeks ago, and Cheryl was making a joke to me, but we discovered as our kids have gotten a little bit older, Sam's just paying attention more to our conversations that used to be private, even though he was three feet away. Happened like around 10 or 11. Like, he's listening more, and we want to be aware of that. But um, anyway, the, the, the joke Cheryl made is, it was just kind of, a lot of you will get it, but she said, oh, be kind, rewind, be kind, rewind. And it was just a little statement about this beautiful thing called Blockbuster, right? You remember Blockbuster, the movie store, in, in the 1990s, and Sam's like, what do you mean, be kind, rewind? What does that mean? And we're like, let us tell you about Blockbuster. Gather around my children. <laughs> there was a day, years ago, where you would go to the video store and you would peruse their videos that they had. Hopefully they had the one you were looking for, but if you know, they didn't, you'd watch something less, right? Uh, less than your, your choice, but you, you'd get these VHS tapes, and as you were checking out, there'd be a little sign on the counter that said, hey, be kind, rewind. Be kind, rewind. Don't bring the video back and make us spend a minute and a half of our glorious lives rewinding your videotape, right? It's rude. So be kind, rewind. And that got us into a conversation about the 90s and the magical time of the 90s. And we were just kind of reminiscing on several things. And as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, uh, I remembered something from the 90s. Do you remember WWJD? These bracelets. How many of you had a, uh, did any of you wear a bracelet? Right. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I did too. And for those of you that don't remember this, WWJD was just a little short thing of what would Jesus do? And these people, I don't know if Jesus would have made a billion dollars on bracelets, but I'm telling you, they did, right? So, yeah, they, they, I, 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 the money they made on these bracelets, it had to be insane. So everybody was wearing these bracelets, and you wore it everywhere you went. And it was just a, a reminder that when you're interacting with someone at a restaurant, or you're at the bank, or you're with a friend, or you're on vacation with family, that every once in a while you're like not feeling some peace, or you're feeling a little bit of anger, or you can't believe they voted for that. For, and, and you can't believe they voted for that, and you can't believe they said it out loud, and all this stuff is starting to come up, and then you look at it, and you're like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And it is a fad that took off like crazy. Eventually people stopped wearing the bracelets. I don't care about that. I feel like we've stopped asking the question. And that's a bigger issue. What would Jesus do is a great question to ask. As you make decisions, as you interact with people, as you're walking through this life, just to ask yourself, like, we should make bracelets. Oh, no, I just had a great idea. Yeah. Make a bunch of money. No, we're not going to do that. Right? If Jesus is the source of our truth, and I think that's what John is trying to teach through those statements all throughout the book. Read John front to back this week sometime. It'll take you about a half hour to do it. I'm telling you, John is packed with this idea that Jesus is the source of our truth. And if that is, is, if that is true, and I believe it is, what would Jesus do is a great question to ask. What would he do in the decision that I'm making? What would he do as I'm feeling angsty in the line at the grocery store? Did he directly speak to the issue that I'm facing? Did he set an example that applies? Given everything I just know about Jesus, what would he do in this situation? And if he is the source of truth, I want to encourage you. I don't care about the bracelets. I just, that was just a setup. The question's good. What would Jesus do? He is the source of our truth. He's leading us to life. He's, through him, we are bearing much fruit. He is the source of our eternal life. He guarantees our salvation. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He is the source of our truth. So let's follow him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for his grace. And Lord, right now I pray, as we just looked at a whole lot of the book of John, um, I pray that something in one of those statements or stories would just embed itself in that you are leading us to life, you are leading us to truth, you are leading us to fruit, you are convicting us of sin, and may we just begin to see you, if we've never seen you this way, may we begin to see you as our good shepherd, that you are the gate into the pen, and once we get into the pen, you are our shepherd, and you are leading us, guiding us, providing for us, directing us, you are the source of our truth. May we begin to see you this way. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion right now, and it's an opportunity for us to kind of think through that process of entering through the gate, that we've entered through the gate. Jesus is our good shepherd, and we want to follow him. And this is the way he did that. This is the way, this is the, way the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, is what we're going to remember in this moment. There's two cups stacked on top of each other, the bread represents his body given for us at the cross. The juice represents the blood that he gave at the cross so that we could enter in. 
to this relationship with him where he is our shepherd. Um, And John desperately wanted us to see Jesus in this way as the source of our truth. And so right now as we think about that sacrifice that he made so that we could enter into this kind of a relationship, may we begin to see that. May we begin to see Jesus that way as that um, culture is not the source of truth, family, self certainly is not, that Jesus is the source of our truth and may we follow him. Um, Our servers will pass it out. You can just kind of hold on to it and then I'll come back up here in just a minute and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. And I think that as Jesus becomes the source of your truth, through his death, burial, and resurrection, as you enter into the sheep pen, and he becomes your shepherd, and he becomes the source of your truth, you and I, we are going to look different. We're going to make different decisions. We're going to live by a different truth standard. And that's, it's hard. Um, for some of you in your family, it's hard. That you feel different. For some of you in your work environment, you're like, I, it's hard. For some of you in your friendships and your relationships, it, it's hard. But you're setting an example. And, 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 and I know being an example setter, it, it, it's hard, but it's valuable. And it's the way the church has always operated, is that the church gathers together and then enters into the world, and we live out the truth the way that God has taught us to live out the truth, and we set this example. And some people are, will be intrigued by the example, and they'll want to follow Christ. And that's a great way to live your life, by, by living that different truth standard. Let Jesus be the source of our truth. And it's going to create some tension, and it's going to be hard, but when you're on mission that way, I think it's worth it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we again thank you for your example. We thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you that because truth is found in you, in a person, there's an invitation with it to follow you and love you and obey you and walk with you. And so may we respond to the invitation to enter into the uh, sheep pen, to have you be our shepherd leading us, the source of our truth. Because at the end of the day, that's what sheep are. We're living out the truth of the shepherd. May we be the same way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to close with one last song. And if you're here today and you've got any questions about Jesus and what he looks like as a good shepherd, or you want to give your life to him, or you want to hear more, a little bit more about our church family, a couple of our elders will be in the overflow right over here, uh, right after church, and they would love to meet with you and pray with you if you have a prayer request and uh, talk with you a little bit more. So uh, God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead, and let's sing one last song. There is none like you, none.